This podcast is brought to you by Orange Cattle. Orange Cattle is a branding company with our expertise being in social media marketing, podcasting, and landing pages. For more information, go to orangecattle.com. A pivot is crucial to the success of any plan. Unexpected events or circumstances arise on everyone's journey. This seems to be especially true for entrepreneurs. Things rarely go completely as planned. I'm Tad Kelsey and on The Pivot, I'll chat with entrepreneurs about what they do and how they got there. From accounting and oil and gas to the PPC and podcast world, On episode five of The Pivot, Justin talks to Jason Rothman, the founder of Rothman PPC, as well as the host of the Paid Surge podcast, about his journey to finding what he truly loves doing and being his own boss. Jason, yeah, just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, where'd you grow up? Well, uh, thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me on. I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in my 30 years of life, I've ventured all the way to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um... So that's where I live now. Uh, I went to Oklahoma State uh, and got an accounting degree uh, up in Stillwater and then moved to Oklahoma City for uh, some accounting jobs, and that's where I've lived uh, ever since. Accounting. Was that, like, the most boring job ever? Uh, a little bit, um, but I, I, I studied accounting definitely so I could so I could get a job out of school. Getting a job in accounting is pretty much a, a sure thing, and when I went into college, it was it was around the 2008 recession, so there was a lot of just make sure you can get a job after school in the air. Uh, but I like business, and, and I definitely learned a lot by learning accounting. Yes, yeah, some of those jobs, they, they were not ideal, and that kind of led me to wanting to uh, have my own company. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Were you, were you entrepreneurial from an early age, or did you start a lot of businesses? When you were a kid, or you- uh, not not really. You you always hear these people who like uh, that as soon as they could talk, they were starting businesses and uh, <laughs> yeah. selling newspapers and mowing lawns. And I didn't do that. I I was more of like a wannabe entrepreneur uh, back then. Um, I knew about entrepreneurs. I had family members uh, who I was exposed to who I could see the entrepreneurial life and running your own business and how much control of your business and your life and your work you could have. So I was very much exposed to it, uh, very much wanted to do that with my life. But from age like 15, when I started looking at the world and looking at business and all that kind of stuff to about age 26, I was not an entrepreneur. I was more of just kind of a straight worker bee and worked a ton of different jobs. And um, also during school, was very, very focused on school and getting a good job after school. So I knew one day I wanted to run my own business and, and have a company, um, but I never really acted on it until I was in my mid-20s. So, like, um, tell me a little bit about your company and, you know, the podcast you guys are you doing. Just how did you start? The, the Rothman Company, and how'd you start the podcast? Um, you know, and that's just a little bit of brief breakdown on that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I was in those oil and gas accounting jobs in my early and mid-20s, and I just uh, was a little bit bored and wanted to make a move. I wanted to see a path into starting my own company. And if anyone knows anything about the 
the oil and gas business, it's really, really hard to start an oil and gas company. You don't really just start one. You have to raise a ton of money. You didn't reach out to Boone Pickens on that or anything? You know what? Uh, as, as much as those guys seem like they're throwing <laughs> around money and all that, it's, uh, yeah. you, you would, I, I respect that guy, and uh, I respect his intelligence. And to give me, a mid someone in my mid-20s at the time, money to start an oil and gas business, he's, he's way smarter than that. So that wasn't <laughs> going to happen. So at the time, I'm, I'm learning things online. I'm, I'm reading about online businesses, reading about blogs, how do people make money online, learning all that stuff. And it, in the process, I learned a little bit about search engine optimization. Then I found a web design agency in Oklahoma City uh, who was looking for someone who offers that service so they could offer it for their clients. And I called the owner and, and got an interview and got a job there. Worked at the agency for a couple of years and then saw Google AdWords while I was doing the search engine optimization work. We started offering AdWords to clients, and I was thinking to myself, all right, with my accounting background, with the numbers, and then I'm interested in marketing, I just fell in love with Google AdWords. But the boss still wanted to do more primarily SEO work. So I started getting AdWords clients on my own. Uh, and then within six months from that point, I had enough clients on my own to quit the job and, and start my own company, and that's Rossman PPC. And what we do is we set up and manage AdWords campaigns for companies all around the country, primarily people like lawyers and movers and doctors, roofers, painters, people who need leads from Google who need to make the phone ring. And I was running my business for a couple of years, and then I saw this good-looking guy uh, on the Internet named Chris Schaefer who was kind of <laughs> doing the same thing I was doing. And he was like doing the exact same thing I was doing. And he was presenting himself the way I wanted to present myself, like not as a ninja, not as a guru or anything weird like that, but just a straightforward business person uh, that was trustworthy and did a good job. And uh, I reached out to him. We started talking business and uh, struck up a friendship. And then I was like, you know what? These are interesting conversations. Why don't we start a podcast, the Paid Search Podcast, where we talk about what we talked about privately, Google AdWords or strategies, stuff like that, uh, and it could promote both of our companies. And so that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years, and that podcast has just grown and grown, and it's been a fun way to continue to learn about AdWords, talk with someone else every week who's in the same business, and then also get our names out there by having that podcast and that exposure. Do you have an idea of what is was the podcast or does the podcast bring in leads? Does is it almost like a lead generation like Google AdWords, like for you, or has have you seen it work that way, or is it more just kind of sharing your knowledge? Oh, it's it's definitely. I mean, we're not doing it for charity. Like it, it's definitely we we don't have advertisers <laughs> on there, so we don't make money that way. Yeah, uh, it really is to to get our name out there. Um, and it's we. I don't really have a quantifiable way of knowing how many clients come from the podcast versus how many clients come from another source and then see the podcast and go, oh, okay, that person really knows about Google AdWords. Um, I'm going to call him and, and hire him. So it's kind of a weird thing where a lot of people listen, they call you, and maybe they never bring it up throughout the time they hire you, uh, and you just don't know. And then there's some people who maybe would have called you and hired you anyway because they found you from another source, but just seeing that you put out over 100 episodes, you've been doing something for over two years, study every week, and they get to know you a little bit before they call in. So I, I think it helps both attract totally cold leads who had never heard of me before, and then it also helps 
market to people who found me in a different source and, and build some trust with them and build some familiarity with them uh, before they call in. So I don't have a way of quantifying it. All I know is that for the one hour we record every week and maybe the one hour of prep time we put into it, it definitely is worth the time. I mean, I'll do a YouTube video, too, because I haven't seen Chris, but, man, you've talked him up. Yeah, we, we have a the YouTube channel where we post videos of us recording an episode. And, Justin, I'm telling you, if if you want to see what a good-looking guy is in 2018, <laughs> uh, what a man is, just something to look up to. Uh, he's about half the screen time, and he, he really is a, he's a great-looking guy. Uh, but, yeah, we, we're on YouTube, too, to, to get that exposure. And I, I tell this to my moving company clients, to my law firm clients, like, it's 2018. There's these big platforms out there, yeah. the, the, I, the, the smartphone, which is how most people listen to podcasts, YouTube, yeah. which is just billions of hours being watched every day. You don't have to have, like, the Adam Carolla, Joe Rogan podcast where you make yeah. millions from your advertising. Yeah. It's really just about niching down to – your audience, and who cares if 10 people listen, if 1,000, if 10,000 people listen, as long as people in your metro area, like mine, Oklahoma City, if someone had a moving podcast here, and maybe you could brand it around the Oklahoma City Thunder or restaurants in Oklahoma City, oh, yeah. and just sponsor the podcast, it's like, it's such a great way to get exposure uh, for not that much money in terms of uh, how much time you put into it, and uh, you have YouTube as well to get out there. So there, there's a lot of, uh, like I, I do paid search advertising on, on Google. It's paid, but there's a lot of uh, more like sweat equity, free content marketing options out there for small businesses these days. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, yeah, there's so many opportunities. It's just, I mean, it's just a waste to not use it. That's really cool that you guys do both of them. Like, so, okay. So uh, how many of the leads come in from the video just based off of Chris's looks? And is it more Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Dogman? You know what? Um, you know, I, I don't want the guy to uh, get mad at me by continuing <laughs> to talk about this, but it's not Ryan Gosling. It's not Ryan Reynolds. It's anyone from my demographic. We grew up with NSYNC. Uh, it's <laughs> Jason Chazé. Like, oh, you know, I really yeah. think, like, the, the age range matches up. Like, was yeah. my podcast partner, like, was this guy in NSYNC, and he just kind of dyed his hair a little bit, and now he does that work? The resemblance is, is uncanny. And just the way he carries himself, like, if you're an NSYNC fan, Justin Timberlake was the flash, you know, he, he was the main attraction. But if you look at their song structure, the guy with the bridge, the guy with the feature in the middle of the song to really carry the song over the top, every single time it was Jay-Z Chazé, extremely professional in the way he went about things and it's just chris he does have those char characteristics as well yeah that's awesome no yeah i know because episodes i've listened to you joked with him about that that's why i kind of brought it up uh now like y'all's banner back and forth is pretty funny you know and then you also have really good tips on actual search or you know actual content i mean it's great content too and that's one of the things too it's like Man, listening to you guys' podcasts, like, oh my gosh, there's just so many things I don't know, I didn't know, you know, about AdWords, and it's just insane. Um, and so, what what makes Rothman, you know, what makes you guys different? What's your company different than you know other Google AdWords competitors? Like, what's your differentiator? Well, um, it's tough because you definitely in business you definitely want to have a differentiator, and there is not a high barrier to entry into this business. Um, anybody can learn Google AdWords. Anybody can get certified and figure out what they're doing. There's a, there's a couple of differentiators. Uh, one of the best business books I've read is Zero to One 
uh, by Peter Thiel. Yeah, I read the mind blowing. Yeah, it's a great book. And the, like the mind blowing thing I got from that book that I never heard in my life before was that a couple things. One is niching down when you start a business, like niche down to the most micro extent possible. And you don't want to just start like a payment processor company and process billions of dollars a day in day one. You start PayPal, which he started, and you focus specifically on eBay customers, and you make the best payment processor or payment whatever transfer fund processor for specifically eBay customers, and you grow your business that way. So I had never been taught that kind of niche down thing before. That's helped me with my business. I've niched down into uh, certain industries on AdWords that we do over and over for clients, and I would recommend that to any business owner out there listening. Find a niche and really go as niche down as possible. Uh, the other thing is that monopolies are good, um, that you don't want to be competing with everybody because that whittles away profits. You want to be in a monopoly. And when I looked at my business, the only thing I can monopolize is myself, uh, Jason Rothman, my brand, uh, and working with me. So I've really made my company a personal thing, both with YouTube videos, um, blog articles, talking about things that probably not a lot of business owners would want out there publicly, just about failures in my past and how I got to this point. And people really get to know me. They get to know that I'm really good at Google AdWords. They get to know my approach to AdWords. And so I've just tried to monopolize myself. And the, you can work with a 100 or a 1,000 different AdWords agencies out there, uh, but you're never going to get to work with me unless you work with my company. So that's just what I've done in my business, and that's reflected by the name of the company, Rossman PPC. Um, that's something I wanted to do from day one is really make it about myself because that's the only thing, that's the only asset I had when I when I started my business. And the final differentiator is I'm a business owner, so I know how to talk to business owners. Um, no one wants to hear that nerdy technical talk uh, about <laughs> yeah. the, the micro details when, when they're talking about how AdWords can help them make money. Um, that's yeah. more stuff for the podcast. That's stuff for training articles. That's industry stuff. You're at a conference talking with a peer. But I really know how to talk to business owners in their language um, and just really marketing myself and, and living up to it is just being a plain, spoken, honest business person that you want to do business with and that you can trust. That's kind of the ways I've, I've differentiated my business. Yeah, and I have to say, you guys, you come across as very authentic, too. Um, I remember um, I read one of your blog posts in preparation for the interview. Um, you went door-to-door, and you were like, what am I doing? I, I don't know, because I think everyone's been there before, you know, definitely. It's like I think people have these ideas of um, – you know, a business is just, hey, that's just always been there. And you forget, like, man, like, Airbnb, they're, like, you know, 10, 15 years old, you know? Like, these companies have, like, been around for a, like, a lot of them for a while. It didn't just, there's not a lot of overnight successes. And, yeah, and, 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 and to your point with uh, Peter Thiel, like, that, the Monopoly thing was very interesting to me. Um, I mean, that was, like, an interesting perspective, like, probably not a popular one, but, it, I mean, I don't know. That was, a, that was a really, really Well, you know, you know Justin, I, I think it, it's maybe not a popular opinion because it serves a lot of people's interest to be popular in their companies yeah. and their big their big brands. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, no one wants to openly talk about how everyone's in business. Yeah, we everyone wants to help people and do a good job, but at the end of the day, it's about making money. And yeah. And the monopoly thing and, and being the only game in town for, for whatever service or product you offer, like – 
that's a big deal in terms of profits because if you don't have that, profits get whittled away because there's a lot of competition. And I, I don't yes. think it's like a on-off switch. It's like not every company is either like a massive 1800s Rockefeller-style monopoly versus yeah. a restaurant and everyone's your competition. It's like there's a there's a scale. And I think him just putting that out there, getting that in people like you and my minds in terms of thinking that way, it's like, no, you don't have to be the only AdWords agency in the country because yeah. that's not good yeah. for customers. But kind of think about how you can be a monopoly in a small niche and do a really, really good job in that niche, which benefits customers in a certain way. Um, and just having that, it's more of a sliding scale. I mean, because if you look at the big companies out there, Warren Buffett talks about it, uh, companies having a moat, um, a competitive advantage. I mean, they, they teach it in business school. So it really is something that uh, matters to business. And before I read that book, I had just not heard that much about that line of thinking. Yeah, no, I agree. So, like, we'll get to the we'll get to the fun questions. I don't like this question because I think it's an easy answer. So we'll go. Is it like, what piece of technology can you not live without? But it's got to be the phone. But if you took away the phone, what would it be? Well, of course, my number one is is Google AdWords. Like I am, uh, I'm a great <laughs> businessman. I'm a visionary. I'm a I'm a legend with Google AdWords. But I mean, you take that stuff away, and it gets pretty pretty. Uh, pretty rough looking pretty fast so that's of course my number one and every night i just uh thank god that uh, google exists um but one one piece of technology that i've been using a lot lately uh that's really changed my business and it's free they have a free version is uh the call scheduler called calendly um huh. calendly it is it, it yeah. It's just great because I used to have on my website like I've got my phone number, the lead form, yeah. and I get a lot of calls just throughout the day uh, at any given time, and maybe I was doing technical work, maybe I was not even working at all at that yeah. part of the day, and I would have to instantly go into sales mode, and you're always kind of on edge, like, okay, who's this person calling me? What are they? Yeah. Is it a sales uh, call? After? Really a legit customer, um, and I was just not selling the best I could. I put that link on my, my site. Now I direct people to schedule a call with me at times that I know I'll be getting calls. Uh, they schedule it. It all happens automatically. goes to my Google Calendar. Um, I prepare for the call. I'm ready for the call. And it, it really has changed my business. So for any kind of small business out there where uh, the main salesperson also has other responsibilities, I really, really like Calendly. Okay. Do you have any Google – like, do you have Google posters all over the house, like – you know, like a picture frame by the bed, and it's like the big G, anything like that? I'm looking at a tattoo. I have not got it yet. <laughs> uh, okay, that would be pretty yeah. legit. You just get a big, the A, the AdWords A logo. Yeah, just the whole, the whole back. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about that, but for now, I've got this really nice Google Premier Partner frame poster uh, that that's sitting in my office, and I just need to get some anti-glare stuff on it, and then I'll be hanging it up behind me, and it'll, it'll show up in the YouTube videos. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. That's pretty smart. When did Google send that to you? Well, um, I earned my Premier Partner badge. Before that, I was just a Google Partner, and then I earned the Premier yeah. Partner badge um, within the last, I think, 18 months. And awesome. you, uh, you just, uh, I think I passed a certain number of tests and had a certain number of clients where I was able to get points in their store and was able to... Uh, to order it. So I got it framed and uh, it's just a matter of time. I'll get it hung up for, behind me uh, for the for the podcast audience. Sweet. So what's one of your hobbies or passions 
things you like to do that would surprise people that know you? Like, what's one thing you know that would surprise Chris that he doesn't know about you that you like to do? You know, I the thing is, I just, like, I'm the most predictable person in the history of the planet. And, you know, let's get back to accounting, accounting. <laughs> yeah. You know, they just, they like what they like. So it's not a surprise to anybody, but my number one thing uh, besides Google AdWords is investing and stocks and but that really is a passion. And Love doing it. About things, like people are just wired a certain way to do things, like nature versus nurture, and it's all nature. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I've just loved that stuff since I can remember. So that that's kind of my number one hobby or passion outside of AdWords is um, looking at businesses and, and investing in stocks. So is there going to be a Rothman hedge fund in the future? Yeah, there is. Like, uh, not not a joke. One of the things I'm wanting to set up at some point is – not not really a hedge fund, but more of a, a mutual fund where I invest, people can see my performance, and if they want to invest alongside with me, they can join me at any point. Um, and it's just kind of something I think I'm going to put out there, let the performance speak for itself, and hopefully it goes well. Um, and if people want to join me in that hobby, uh, they'll join me. But that's something I, I kind of think of as, as a second career, maybe 20, 20 years down the line. Man, that's awesome. What's uh, what's like a couple of the stocks that you're long on? Well, I don't want anyone to take these as uh, recommendations. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, true. Yeah. You, you've got to you've got to uh, you, you you have to buy things and and hold them a certain way. So the thing about being a stock equity owner, and Charlie Munger says this, is that at any point during your life and investing career, a stock you can hold can go down in nominal purchase price by 50% or more, and that can happen on average a couple times throughout your investing life. And if you can't stomach that and you're someone who sells when it goes down, even if you think the business prospects are so good, stocks are not going to go well for you. But just a couple of companies that I like, Apple and Google, it's no secret there. I mean, these are two of the five biggest companies. Yeah maybe two of the biggest three, but I really do like them in terms of businesses. You think about Google, you think about search. The only thing I can see impacting search in the coming years is these home pods, the the Google Home, the Amazon. Oh, like yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, that, that really, if that picks up, that really will change the way people maybe search for, you know, buy more paper towels, order me a pizza. It's hard to see at this point how that is going to change. Like, I need a good divorce lawyer. I'm in Memphis. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think someone's going to trust Alexa um, to find them one without doing the research. So that's the only thing I see impacting search. But if you think about, I mean, imagine a world, a world without Google tomorrow or, or without search engines. It's, it's yeah. pretty bleak. So I think that's going to be a moneymaker for a long, long time. And then you want to talk about Apple in terms of a sticky product, man, you you get an iPhone, your all your apps, your alarms, your contacts, everything is in that ecosystem. And, yes, you can change over to a different kind of phone, but it's just so much easier yeah. to, to stay with Apple and do that upgrade every three to five years. And a lot of, like, people on Wall Street, they're kind of – they get down on Apple because they say, well, what else are you guys doing? It, you can't just be all about the iPhone. And I look at it like, okay – Maybe they'll come up with some other huge, huge game changer. Maybe the ecosystem of driverless cars at some point or something like that, like the, the entertainment system or whatever. But the iPhone is still such a great business. It should not be discounted. And you just look at where their PE has been the last few years. Um, yeah. 
I, I I thought it's been an attractive business. And a lot of people like investing in like startups or smaller companies, and I'm kind of the opposite. I love the monster fortress companies that are just like so hard to attack, and it's like you're going to tell me as just little old me in Oklahoma City, I can technically be an owner, a true owner of Google or Apple or ExxonMobil or McDonald's, these mega companies, these fortresses, these economic castles. And uh, I, I, just love, I just love investing in the big guys when they're selling at uh, good prices. Yeah, and that's always funny in the Wall Street guys where it's, you know, where you're like, well, what are they going to do to innovate later? You're like, well, that's true of every company in the world. It's just like, it's just you're placing their bet that Apple will probably be the one that will innovate and do things because, you know, I know past performance doesn't dictate future results, but, like, I mean, it's definitely helpful. That's how you make your decision. And, you know, you're betting on the future of what it's going to do. That's true of anything. Like, Fred Wilson has this line where it's like, um, companies, like when people are talking about, well, Amazon, you know, doesn't make any money right now. But, I mean, it's like, but the company is worth the present value of future cash flows. I mean, it's worth what the future is. Right. Like, um, but, no, that's, that's super interesting. All right. So what's the best marketing advice you've ever received, and what's the worst marketing advice you've ever received? In terms of best marketing advice, I really have to go back to that Peter Thiel book. I, I can't emphasize enough to any business owners or entrepreneurs out there how much that book was a game changer for me. Um, it's all based on a business course he teaches, I think, at Stanford. And just the fact that you get access to that kind of knowledge through like a 15 or $20 book is amazing. Um, but, but I really did learn a lot from that book. And the best advice that I got from the book, besides the monopoly thing, is, is the niching down, niching down to the smallest point possible and, and starting a business that way. Um, I, I tell that to all my friends who looking at trying to start a business. Everyone thinks about the big picture. They think about how big the, the housing market is and if they can just capture 1% of the housing market in the state of Oklahoma, oh my gosh, you're going to make a ton of money. And whereas I would be thinking about, well, no, 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 don't think about the state of Oklahoma. Think about the neighborhood you grew up in and the neighborhood you know better than anybody else. That one square mile or two square miles where you know yeah. exactly what every house should be valued at and you can get good investments in there and buy, buy at the right prices and make a nice profit. So I, I just think niching down and, and niching down to a smaller point than you're even thinking of uh, was the best best advice that I've ever gotten. Um, and I know that's more business than marketing, but business, the way you get business is by marketing. So going back to that example, if that person was a real estate investor and trying to rate, trying to market themselves to raise money and investors to start a house flipping yeah. business, or if they're a realtor trying to market to get clients in that two square mile area, it's the same mindset when it comes to marketing for the business. The worst marketing advice, and again, this is more of like just marketing yourself as a person. When you're trying to get a job, don't tell the person interviewing you that you want to be an entrepreneur, that you want to own your own business one day. <laughs> I was yeah, they don't want to get, yeah. <laughs> trying to get a job out of college, and luckily I did, but I know I ruined a handful of interviews because I talked very openly about my dreams of being an entrepreneur and being a business owner. Maybe they weren't supposed to be until like 10 or 15 years down the, down the road, but for the person, maybe it's their company or the representative of the company, they don't want that. They want really strong employees that want to be with the company forever because that, that's the way businesses 
make money off labors when people stick around and get really good in the business. So Sam Zell has a great biography where he talked about making the same mistake. And so that's just the worst marketing mistake I've ever made in terms of marketing myself was trying to get a job being at that point in my life, but then talking about my personal goals of owning a business it, it is not what people doing an interview want to hear. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy, too, because, yeah, no, they definitely don't want to hear it. And, too, it's like if you're interviewing with somebody that's, you know, HR or something like that, there's not many entrepreneurial people in HR just from – I mean, I, that's that's a blanket step, you know, that might be stereotyping, but it's like chances are, like, even if you were entrepreneurial and, like, they're not, they don't value that. Like, it's like, I've been an entrepreneur and you've done these things, like, they don't care. What they'll value is, well, man, this guy has, like, worked his way up the company ladder. And entrepreneurial, that's not super valuable. Yeah, that's good advice. What's good advice about right. bad advice? So, okay, when it comes to branding, who's one person or company that's, like, your personal favorite that you just like or admire or just like the creativity or just a personal fan of? comes to branding, to me, the person I look up to the most, the person I try to emulate is Warren Buffett. He built a brand at his company, Berkshire Hathaway, um, and a reputation for himself by being honest, doing the right thing, being a good partner to people. And what what that did over the course of his, uh, he's in his late 80s now, so his 70-something year career, is it attracted the right kind of shareholders, it attracted the right kind of businesses that sold themselves to Berkshire, and that's how a lot of their worth is made up, by acquiring businesses wholly and owning them. He offered a different option to business owners as opposed to some private equity buyers or going public where his reputation of being honest and being a straightforward person, it led to them actually knowingly selling themselves to him at a lower price than they could get somewhere else because they liked the way he did business and they liked the way he kept his word. So that kind of branding that he's built up over the 70 years of his career, it didn't cost one penny, but it's some of the strongest branding in the world. Um, and it led to the results that he wanted, which were the right shareholders, the right kind of shareholders that had similar goals to him and let him run the business the way he wanted to. And it led to businesses selling themselves to Berkshire the right kind of businesses and the right kind of people that he wanted to have as managers. All of that was just from the way he conducted himself, and that's free. It doesn't cost anything. Um, and so that's that's the person, my personal favorite when it comes to a branding story. Man, that's a really good one. That's not per a person that I would have even thought of, like didn't even, wouldn't even have considered. But then you say that, you're like, man, that's a really good point. Because if you go to a website, it is like, like you're almost like, is this a, is this for real? You know, it's just like links to the companies they do. But yeah, I mean, you're right though with the branding, like that's how it comes across. And it's just like, and I've heard, I've heard stories too of people saying, um, you know, if you get in the tech business and it's like, well, you know, the due diligence process after a company sells or, um, you know, if they want to buy a company, it's like all these different things. And, and they said it before with him, it's like handshake deal. And like he could do it in like two weeks. You know, it's just right. – and like people want – yeah, like you're saying, people want to work with him. He's built that brand value. Um, I mean, it's like just you know what you're getting. It's like, you know, you see a lot of other – especially tech where it's like you know, they'll build this – you know, site, not that like bad site, like we do marketing. It's not like, you know, you want the site to look good, but it's, 
but they'll get caught up in that where it's like, hey, it's still got to be results-driven where, you know, you'll see a lot of companies build these products where it's like it's an API for APIs inside the blockchain, you know, or just like, man, like, no one really needs that, and, like, the site is awesome, and it's like, man, it does so many responsive things, but you're like, nobody wants it, and it's like, it doesn't really brand, you know, like, what are you trying to accomplish, like, what are you, you know, and with him, it's like, it's pretty straightforward, like, you get a vision in your head the minute you think of him, um, no, it's a really good one, I, I would have never... I would have never even thought like that was an answer to one, but when you explain it, I'm like, that's you, a good really answer. The, the, the way I implement it in my business, it's kind of that law of attraction thing where he puts himself out there a certain way and it attracts the kind of people he wants to do business with. So I know how to game the system. I know what people want to hear when it comes to AdWords management. I could go out there and very slightly promote uh, just extru- I, I, I could manipulate the data that I've seen in terms of my results and yeah. sell something that maybe I couldn't deliver every time. Like, hey, guys, everyone's going to get a 50% conversion rate because I did it on this one account. And then what that would result in is the kind of clients that had unrealistic expectations because I'm yeah. selling that, and it would be a lot of stressful, bad business. But because I put myself out there in that straightforward, honest way, and like, yeah, I did get 50% conversion rates in this one account, but in the other account, it's a very unique thing people are searching for. Our conversion rate is only 2%. We're trying to raise it. We're trying to figure it out, but you're not going to hit a home run every time. Yeah. But we are doing everything possible we can and conveying that to you as a client. That kind of messaging attracts the business owners that I want to work with who have yeah, realistic true. expectations, who know that there's a whole other side of closing the lead on their side. And it's not just about Google AdWords in terms of that performance. And it, it tracks the right kind of people. So that's that's the thing I learned from him when it comes to branding. Whatever you put yourself out there as, you can get that back in return. And if you don't want to work with a certain kind of client or people like that, don't put yourself out there like that. Yeah, you, you get people that are like, hey, like I, I want a 50% conversion. Like, it's not working. It's like, well, you're – you're selling a VCR, like, nobody uses VCRs, you know, like, those are, like, I don't know what to tell you, like, it's, it's like, what's the best VCR on the market? It's like, well, okay, like, the best VCR on the market is not good, I mean, it's like, you've still got to have a really good product, you've got to, you know, it's got to, like, you've got to have stuff on the site, like, phone number, you've got to have contact, but, but anyway, um, so, okay, I don't know if you've seen the movie Brewster's Millions, you ever seen that movie? I haven't. Unbelievable. Brewster's Millions is this movie where this guy has so much money, and he, like, buys a baseball team. But anyway, he, has, they, he got inherited with, at the time, it seemed like a lot, like, a million dollars, but he has to spend it in 24 hours or something. But if you had a million dollars to spend, you had to spend it on social media advertising. So non-Google AdWords on this one, but just one platform. You only pick one, and you have a million dollars. has to be spent in the next six months, or, you like, you lose the million dollars. Like, where would you where would you spend it? As Non-fun as this answer is, I, I would have to spend it on the big bad guy in the room, Facebook. Um, yeah. I've just I've played around with it a little bit, and I am just more confident in my ability on Facebook to – you can just – better than I would think Snapchat or Twitter. Or, yeah. You, you can just find the people who are in your market by narrowing things so down. So targeted, yes. Yeah, it's so targeted. And, like, what I would probably do if I, if I got that money for my business and I had to spend it – I'd spend it on Facebook. I'd try to get in front of people who were interested in Google AdWords and also interested in, like, small business and that kind of thing. That crossover audience, maybe people between age, like, uh, 40 and 55, 
who have a business, know they need to be on AdWords, but they haven't, they don't know technically how to take those steps. And I would just put a lot of like fun content ads out there, promise a lot of content on the other side of the ad to help them and try to get their email addresses and build their email list um, on my site. That's awesome. So you do a lot of, so you build a lot of email addresses. So you do, you do a newsletter. How do you use it? What do you do? With I do have email? a newsletter. Um, I, I send out an email once every couple months. I need to put more time into it. I definitely do, and I need to promote it more. You're too busy doing AdWords. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing. I'm, I'm too busy with some other things, but it's like th- there is something very, very cool about those email lists because – and you have to approach it the right way, and you have to respect the audience oh, sure. because it's basically as intimate as it gets in terms of marketing. They're letting yeah. you in their inbox. You have to respect that. And because of that, I'm able to – talk about different things with that audience, things that I wouldn't want to put out on Twitter. I wouldn't want to put out on the blog. It's it's more of like, okay, I know these people know about AdWords. I know we have yeah. a, like a history and a relationship. And so I found this cool little technical thing in AdWords. And I don't want to put it out there to everyone because maybe it's really valuable or maybe yeah. it's something people just, I don't want to be associated with like as the person who found it, but it's like I can share it with this list. Um, and get their feedback. So it is a cool, and uh, yeah. I also like test out a lot of blog content with that audience first. So I'll kind of like write the rough draft, just what I'm really feeling at the time, send it to them, like get some of their reactions, and then kind of clean it up for the blog. Okay. So last question, and man, we're we're obsessed with movies and podcasts. So what's your favorite best movie you've seen? And it could be series or anything. It can be one that's just that you've seen in the last year and the, what podcast you're listening to now other than your own. I would say uh, movie. There, there's a couple that come to mind. They're both on Netflix. One is a series. Uh, anybody who's into, like, business and crime, there's a series called Dirty Money on Netflix. Yeah. And one of those stories is about the company Valiant Pharmaceuticals and how their stock tanked because they their business model wasn't really – uh, something they could keep up because they were jacking up the price of uh, pills and, and or pharmaceuticals and not um, putting money into research and development. So that series is just really, really fascinating. Another story they did was on Volkswagen and the emission scandal. Uh, so that series oh, yeah, is great. Yeah, it was a, uh, yeah it's a great, great series about just business people and stuff. You would not want to go down those roads. So it's a good <laughs> like, warning. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then the... The other thing on Netflix I watched recently is a documentary called The 7-5, and it's about the 75th precinct in New York City during the 1970s and 80s, um, and some corrupt cops that started working for drug dealers at the time and kind of went like rogue. Like The Wire? Yeah, like it's kind of like The Wire, but, it, but it's like those kind of drug dealers, like serious, serious drug dealers. Yeah. And a couple cops that basically sold their badge to the drug dealers in real life. Right. It's a documentary. Yeah. And while they okay. were policemen, they started working for the uh, the drug gang. And one of the fascinating things about that documentary is the main characters in it, like the actual people, the drug boss, the cop who ended up going to prison, they're all in the documentary being interviewed. So that was interesting. And then the other interesting thing is just to see the state that New York City was in during the 1970s. Like today, New York real estate has just been booming. The city's very safe. But in the 1970s, apparently, it looked like a war zone in some parts of that city. And they've got a lot of footage from back then. So 
those movies. And then in terms of podcasts, uh, everyone knows I love Adam Carolla. The Adam Carolla show, Monday through Friday, is great. But one thing I've been listening to a lot from him that I don't think as many people know about is his show with a defense, or not just a defense attorney, but an attorney uh, named Mark Garagos. They do it every, it comes out every Saturday, and I'm a news junkie, and they kind of break down the big, major political, legal news stories of the week. And so if you just want like an hour to take your mind off business and kind of dive into the news and get some interesting perspectives, um, I I love that show, Reasonable Doubt. What makes you like him so much? Like what, what, just funny and witty or? Well, uh, when I, when I was in college, I started listening to those old Loveline episodes. uh, Oh, yeah, Dr. Drew. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just. I mean, I just listened to him, and I was like, man, this guy is funny. And um, I, I, I think one thing I just love about him is, is uh, he just get, he has such a unique and honest perspective. And, and the thing about him is he has that, like, a interesting take on, like, everything. That's kind of his thing. It's like you bring up, like, uh, deli sandwiches, he'll, he'll do 15 minutes yeah. on it. You bring up, like, smart cars, he'll do 15 minutes. And the, the super interesting thing about him is he grew up extremely poor with – parents he talks about this all the time who weren't that interested at all in his success yeah um or helping him like achieve anything so he went from like literally digging ditches and cleaning carpets after high school to figuring out that comedy was his talent to figuring out that specifically radio and podcasting would be his talent and worked his way up and just has a great career and is very successful now but it's just so interesting because he's seen the exact opposite sides of things like having no yeah. success to being very successful and just hearing about his story and that I don't know it's just um some people have this with Howard Stern it's just that person you listen to every day yeah. so every day when I wake up it's, it's the first thing I do is is play his uh start playing his podcast for the day so yeah you don't turn on the radio or anything it's a podcast so it's, podcasts are probably going to stay I guess it seems like so but man that's podca- awesome. podcasts are here to stay because they come through the phone, and everyone, yeah. even some of the biggest podcasters, they, they talk about their audience, and they think they're at the gym, or they think they're on a walk, or, or like uh, sweeping their house, or doing chores, and they always think about earbuds in the ear, um, and I'm like, that's not the way people listen to podcasts, like, they yeah. have them on their phone, uh, Bluetooth hooks up to the cars now, and the more and more, the content on your phone makes its way into the control panel in your car, the more and more that gets synced up for everybody and turning on a podcast on your console becomes as easy as turning on the radio. That's the moment when podcasts are just going to absolutely explode uh, even more than they have been. It's, it's that moment when it goes from turning on the radio in your car to becoming as easy to turn on a podcast. That's when it's really going to explode. But yeah. I think people listen to podcasts the way I listen to them, which is I'm doing work throughout the day. I have my phone up, uh, yes. just sitting on the table. Uh, I'm, I'm outside in the backyard hanging with my dogs. I, I've got my phone on me. So we're all addicted to our phones. They're on us 24-7. That's yeah. the way the podcasts are piped in. And because of that relationship, I think they're just going to continue to grow and grow. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's just, like, and that's what I do. I mean, I'll put them in, like, can't go to sleep, like, listen to podcasts, kind of lay down. Like, the drive, like, drives to me, like, aren't that bad because I'm like, oh, I'll put on a podcast. Excited to listen to this. I mean, it's just, it's so amazing. And like you're saying, you can get so targeted in a podcast. It's kind of like you're saying with Facebook. It's like 
no one's listening to, you know, the, the AdWords or AdWords podcast that's probably not at least interested or like your target market. It's not like, you know, Jessica who, I'm just making up a person who, you know, hates podcasts, hates, hates AdWords is like, you know what, I want to subscribe to this. Like, it, it just doesn't happen or listen to it. So it's like you get very, very targeted. So yeah, and you kind of develop that like drive, that following. It's, no, I mean, I just think they're, Super interesting. I love listening to podcasts, so more than anything, just, it's just fun to do. But, no, thanks, thanks yeah. so much, Jason, for, for doing this call, and, like, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, just uh, if you want to end, like, where can people find you and where can people, uh, you know, learn more about you? Sure. So the two places where people can find me, rossmanppc.com. Uh, that's my AdWords management business. And then paidsearchpodcast.com, or you can look for it on iTunes or YouTube or any podcast player. That is the podcast I do weekly uh, with my partner, Chris, on there. So, com and then also uh, com. Yeah, if you don't even like AdWords, it's still, like, an awesome listen. Thanks again, Jason. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Thanks for downloading The Pivot. Download and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play to hear all of our entrepreneurial conversations.